Many things cripple us in our walk with God, one of them being pride. Here is the third message in the series, Tides, Winds, and Currents. The message is entitled, The Tide of Pride. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Uh, we're involved in this series of messages entitled, Tides, Winds, and Currents. Will you say that with me? Tides, winds, and currents. And I want to talk tonight about the tide portion of this, this whole concept of what a tide is and its effect upon our lives. And one particular area I want to talk about, the tide of pride, the tide of pride. I want you to listen very closely uh, this weekend because this message has application to all of our lives. It will help us to grow in our relationship with God. The reason this topic is so important, lots of different reasons why it's important, uh, but one reason is because the Bible says that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And so if you want more of God's grace in your life, how I many you need more of the grace of God? You know, if I do, okay, I need more of God's grace in my life. And so I need, we need to learn how to walk in humility and resist attitudes of pride. If you've ever done any kind of boating at all, if, you, if you're a sailor, been on the ocean and in a bay or any place that's affected by tidal flows, you realize that sailors, boaters need to pay attention to the tides because tides always determine water levels. They're affected by the gravity of the sun and the moon, and they come and go during a daytime season, during the day, usually once or twice a day, you'll have a high or low tide. And it's extremely important that you pay attention because if you sail out on a high tide and you don't think about your timing to come back, you may find yourself grounded on a low tide and have to wait until the high tide comes back again. But not only are low tides dangerous, but actually high tides can be dangerous as well. We don't normally think of it that way, but especially when it comes to docking your boat. If you dock your boat at a low tide and you don't set your lines the right way, what can potentially happen is that when the tides rise again, if those lines are not set as they need to be set, then you can find that when you come back to get your boat, it's now floated underneath the dock and you have a sunken vessel. Why? Because you didn't pay attention to the, the tides. Tides are extremely important. They make a difference in a boating experience, and a sailing experience. And one of the things that you notice about tides is that tides change slowly. They don't change suddenly. They change almost imperceptibly over hours of time. If you look at a tide table, you'll see that there'll be a high tide at a certain period, and then hours later, there will be a, a slow tide, and somewhere in the midst of that, there's what's called a slack tide. And so you have to realize that there's a, a process of time associated with it. Unless you watch out for the tides, you're going to get caught by something that happens slowly and progressively. There's a change that can occur that you don't even know about, you haven't noticed, and it can cause you a lot of loss and can cause some disaster on your part. The same is true when it comes to our spiritual lives. When it comes to our walk with God, there's a certain high tide. There are low tides, and we can talk about that as well in, a, in another message, but there are certain high tides. I'm talking about the high tide of pride that you and I need to watch out for. It is a very slowly progressing high tide, but you and I need to learn how to handle it. In the book of Daniel, there's a story, actually there are multiple stories in the book of Daniel that we're using in this series together. 
It actually helps us to understand something about a high tide that destroyed a man. A high tide that destroyed not only a man, but destroyed his role as king and destroyed a kingdom. If you'll follow with me, I'm going to go to Daniel chapter 5, and I'll read the first six verses. Then we'll pick up at verse number 22. They'll be on the screens as I read them. So listen to this story as it unfolds. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet. This is, by the way, the king of Babylon that's being referred to here. Gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, or we, it actually was his grandfather, had taken the original word that's used there can also be translated grandfather. His father, grandfather, had taken from, from, from the temple in Jerusalem. So the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God where? And where? In Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. Drank from what? Drank from the goblets that had been used as a part of worship of the one true God of Israel in the temple in Jerusalem. As they drank the wine, here's where things now start going even further downhill. They praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. That was a very sobering moment. Can you imagine? Here you are having this great party of a thousand of your leading people there with you, and you're throwing this incredible party. You ask for the, for the goblets from the temple of Jerusalem, the temple of Jehovah God in Jerusalem, and then as everybody's celebrating, suddenly a hand begins to write words on a wall. I'm sure that everyone there, they were rubbing their eyes quite vigorously trying to figure out what's going on here and trying to figure out what was transpiring. Let's go now to verse 22 as it unfolds. I'm not going to read the entire chapter for you. I would encourage you. Uh, it's actually really good to read Daniel 4 and 5 together. Those two chapters uh, go very well together. It doesn't take too long to read both of them. So I would really commend to you that as you go home this weekend to perhaps take some time and read chapters 4 and 5 of Daniel. Let's pick up verse 22, chapter 5. This is after Daniel now has appeared on the scene, and they've asked Daniel to come and try to give some understanding in terms of what these words were that were written on the wall, and notice what happens. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. So the whole issue around this situation that is occurring is humility and pride. The whole issue, while hand, a hand came and began to write certain things on the wall, was there was a problem in Belshazzar's life, and the problem was the problem of the tide of pride. And so Daniel begins to address this. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in, in, in his hand your life and all his his ways. Therefore, he sent the hand. Everybody say, he sent the hand. I want you to get that. Who sent the hand? 
God sent the hand. God sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, Mene, Dekel, Parson. Here's what the words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Dekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel, Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed, clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. What a sad story. And again, I haven't told you the whole story that's wrapped up here in these verses. Uh, the entire chapters, chapters 4 and chapter 5, really do, as I said, go well together. But I want to give you four lessons, four lessons this weekend that we find from this particular story. The first lesson, very simple but yet powerful lessons, lesson is this. Many ships have been sunk by the tide of pride. If we took time today and go through history, just history as we know it, world history, we could talk about people in world history who found themselves at the bottom of the barrel because they didn't understand humility. The same is true for many of us as Christian believers. There's an old saying that says, those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it. George Bernard Shaw said, we learn from history that we learn nothing from history. In this particular scripture text that I just read for you, two kings are mentioned, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, the grandfather and the grandson. Two kings mentioned. King Nebuchadnezzar, when you go back to chapter 4 of Daniel, you'll find that King Nebuchadnezzar had had the same issue in his life. King Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king that Babylon ever saw. King Nebuchadnezzar is the one who built the hanging gardens of Babylon. He was a man who had suffered no defeat, a man who had had great success in being the king. Actually, no one in the world could withstand him during his reign until he got to the place that he felt like he was really, really somebody, and, he, and pride arose in his heart, and he realizes that he's going to get in trouble and Daniel comes to him and interprets a dream for him about a tree and, and about a wild animal in the field. And ultimately what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar is he's taken out into, in a field. He goes insane by reason of his pride and arrogance for seven years until he acknowledges that God is God. That's a, that's a very short version of chapter four, I promise you. That is not even the cliff notes, okay? It's not, that's like the CL notes, not even the IFF part, okay? Very short version. But what I want you to see is that Belshazzar should have learned a lesson from history. Because he had heard the stories and understood what his grandfather had gone through, how he'd, his grandfather had gone through his arrogance and pride and been insane for seven years and lived out in the fields like an animal eating grass. And ultimately, only when he acknowledged that God was a source of his power and victory was he restored back to sanity again. This young man or this man, Belshazzar, should have learned the lesson from history, but he did not. It should have been a warning and a reminder to him and to the kings that followed him, not to follow the path of King Nebuchadnezzar. But sadly, Belshazzar didn't pay attention. Look at this again. Look at what it says. 
but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not what? Have not humbled yourself, though you what? Though you what? Though you knew. Even though you knew, even though you understood, you did not humble yourself. Belshazzar continued in the same sin of his ancestor, the iniquity of pride. He didn't learn from the lesson of history. And we have a warning that Solomon many years later gave us in Proverbs chapter 16, and it's found here in this passage as well. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so this, even before Solomon is on the scene, uh, 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 these words of Solomon become so powerful and so real in this particular setting. Think about all the examples in Scripture of people who exemplify this particular passage. Think about Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel and how he became arrogant. The Bible even says of, of, of Samuel when he prophesied to him that you were once small in your own eyes, but now you've allowed pride to rise in you. Think about David's son Absalom who, 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 who actually built a monument to himself and his life ended in destruction. Think about the New Testament king Herod, how he exalted himself and ended up being consumed by worms. We could go one after another, all the different stories in the Bible of people whose ships were sunk by pride. The second thing I mentioned a moment ago that's the second lesson for us this weekend is that the tide of pride rises how? Imperceptibly. That's the problem with it. The tide of pride rises imperceptibly. The novice mariner, the, the novice person who's out on the waters for, for the first time and they're, they're learning something about sailing, they don't generally think about the tides. They, they don't take note of tides rising and falling. They're li literally oblivious to the signs because they're, they're novice. They haven't learned the impact that the tides can make on their, on their boating experience, their sailing experience. And the same was true for King Belshazzar. He didn't realize how the tide of pride had risen in his life until it was too late. And my prayer for all of us is that we would not allow the tide of pride to rise in us before it is too late. We don't want it to rise and then find that our ship is, has now sunk that we're in trouble because this has happened in our lives. Go back with me to chapter 5, verse 23, and let's see again what Daniel said to him. He says, instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds his holds, holds his in his in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription: Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. We'll come back to that. See what it happens here. Here's what the words mean: Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Stop there with me for a moment. In essence, God said to him, "You thought you had a long time, but you don't." You don't have the same amount of time you anticipated having. And then to Kel, you've been weighed on the scales and found what? You thought you were a heavyweight, but you're really a lightweight. You thought you were a big deal, but you really weren't. You thought you were really something heavy, 
and something amazing, but actually, I weighed you on my scale. How many know God has a different scale than we do, okay? When he weighs us on the scale, he weighs us on the scale that measures pride versus humility. And he says, I weighed you and you were found wanting. Paris, you, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. What I want you to see here in this part of the story is that this pride happened in his life. It developed over a period of time imperceptibly unchecked, unnoticed, unacknowledged until the moment that he had to give an account to God for how he had lived his life. It's important to see in all of our lives that the tide of pride can rise so imperceptibly. That's why we need to be on guard against it. Here's the third thing that I want to give you tonight. Everybody still with me so far? There are signs of a rising tide of pride. Just because you didn't see them doesn't mean they weren't there, correct? If you've done any boating at all or been out on the water sailing or anything of that nature and you've learned anything about tides at all, you know, there's signs that you can tell when the tides are coming and going. One of the signs, if you look at the pilings on a, any marina, you'll find out that there are watermarks on the pilings and you can see where the water has gone down and where the water comes up and you learn to pay attention to the fact that there are watermarks there that are giving you a piece of information. This is how high the water can go and this is how low the water can go and so you might want to note the watermarks on the piling or you might want to consult a tide table. That might be a wise thing to do before you go out on the waters and you, you need to maybe ask a few experienced sailors around, hey, how, how do the tides work here? Uh, can you give me a little bit of information and get some of the local experts to tell you kind of what's going on? You need to know the warning signs of the tides. I need to know when it's going to be low and I need to go know when it's going to be high and the same is true with the tide of pride, you and I need to know some of the warning signs. And so I thought what I would do based upon scripture tonight is give you what I'm calling here 10 things to look out for when it comes to the rising tide of pride. It might be called a little bit of a checklist because you don't want to find yourself in a situation one day, nor do I, when there's a handwriting on the wall coming your way. Amen. You don't want to be there. And so what are the signs? Let's take a look at these, these 10 together. Signs of pride. Thinking more highly of yourself than you should. That's kind of what Belshazzar had, right? Thinking that you're really something when you're not and thinking more highly of yourself. And this is now unpacks it a bit more. How do you know that you think more highly of yourself than you don't? You lack, what's this key word here? Teachability. You ever notice that prou proud people, you can't teach them anything because they know it all, okay? They already know it, okay? So anytime that we lack teachability in our lives, it's a demonstration, a lack of a teachable spirit is a demonstration of the fact that we're thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. Feeling too big for something small. I'm too big to vacuum the floor. I'm too big to wash the dishes. I'm too big to work in the nursery. I'm too important to help in the children's ministry. I'm too valuable to park cars in the parking lot. Am I getting close to home now? Yeah, thank you. I like that all right over there. That's a good one. Okay, It's going to make me preach another five minutes right there. Okay, Feeling too big for something small. Do you know that 
the greatest things oftentimes in the kingdom of God are not the big things, but sometimes they're the small things. They're not the out front things. Sometimes they're the behind the scene things. I'm so grateful for the people that we have here in our church that do the small things, but the important things, right? So valuable. And the same is true in every realm of life. If you start feeling too big for something small, it's a sign, okay? It's a watermark on the, on the piling. It's telling you something that you need to pay attention to. Let's go to the next one. Focusing on positions, possessions, and power rather than serving what? Serving people. If these things, if your position is more important to you, what is my position? Are your, are your possessions, what is what I own, what can I show off with my life? Or your power, if these things are more important to you than people are, then you're, you're beginning to have a problem here because this stuff is, is now pushing you toward this attitude, it's reflecting this attitude of pride or arrogance beginning to develop in our lives. Let's go to the next one. These get real close to home. I'm going to give you some solutions in a moment, okay? Self-centered ambition and self-promotion. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't, this is not my, I didn't even think about this when I was preparing the message until just now. But my goodness, don't we live in that world today? If you don't believe it, check out. Okay, just check it out, okay? Nobody tells you how horrible they are on social media. They all tell you how great they are and how wonderful things are and, you know, how it's, just, it's all there because it's, uh, I'm not saying that everything about social media is wrong. What I'm telling you is if we're not careful, the spirit of the world can begin to push us toward something that is arrogant, something that is prideful, something that doesn't reflect the nature of Jesus. And so self-centered ambition, there's nothing wrong with ambition. We should all be ambitious to be the best that we can be for the sake of the glory of God. But if you're all about you... And if you're willing to step on other people in the process of finding your ambitions, then something's wrong. Amen? Okay? You don't step on people to get where you want to be in your life. That's something that's, that's contrary to the nature of Jesus. Okay? Let's go to the next one. Here we go. A critical spirit in mind. What are, what's happening when you're being critical of other people? I'll give you another phrase that goes along with fault finding. When you spend a lot of your energy and time, or your, if this is what the focus of your life is, finding fault with other people, what have you done in that when this characterizes your life? You've now become not what? The judge of others. And last time I checked, when a judge comes into the courtroom, what does everybody do? Everybody rises and says, Your Honor, okay? And see, when you're living with a critical spirit in mind, you, you kind of live with this idea that everybody needs to kind of bow to me because my, my, my perspective has to be the right one all the time. And so this is key that helps us to think about the rising tide of pride, okay? Judgmental and harsh thoughts, words, and actions. That goes just an expression of uh, further of what I just described there. Harsh thoughts, harsh words, harsh action. When you're putting people down, your words communicate arrogance. Your words communicate pride potentially. Let's go to the next one. Here we go. Resistance to directions. You know that if you just resist directions all the time, what is that saying? It says the same thing of lack of teachability says. It says, you know what? I think I know best. I think I know better. I just have a few more here. We're walking through a checklist. Everybody okay with this so far? Okay. It's really quiet in here. Okay. 
preoccupation with affirmation and attention, okay? If you've got to have affirmation all the time, you've got to be the center of attention, what is that telling you? It's telling you are the most important thing around. All right, here we go. Defensiveness and argumentativeness in relationships. You know, the Bible says by pride comes contention, okay? And so when we're defensive and argumentative in relationships, it's indicative of the fact that these are signs. Now, not one of these necessarily point to a significant major problem in your life, but it's a combination of these things. And so what you and I want to learn to do, I don't want to end up like Belshazzar. How about you? I don't want to end up like Nebuchadnezzar. I, don't, I want to learn a lesson that they didn't learn, that the, those guys didn't learn. I want to learn the lesson in my life to watch out for the tide of pride because there's, there's certainly signs that you and I need to be aware of. Let's go to the next point, and this is the fourth one. This is what we're wrapping up with tonight. The good news is that you can reverse the tide of pride. When tides come in, guess what else they can also do? Come on, help me out. What? As surely as the, as the tide can come in, what can it also do? It can also go out. And so what we want to do is we want to help the tide go out. I want to be like, shoot, get away. I'm going to push you on out. Get, get, get away from it. I don't want this in my life. And so here's the thing. The Bible clearly gives us indication that you and I can reverse the tide. Let me give you a few verses of Scripture. I'm going to give you seven of them very quickly here. Seven's a great number, isn't it? Notice this. He has shown you, O mortal, or O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So would God ask you to walk humbly if it was not possible? No, he asked us to do that because there's, that's how he wants us to live. Let's go to the next one. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So again, he's telling us if you want to be wise, then choose this pathway, Push away the tide of pride. Welcome the spirit of humility. The third one, before a downfall, the heart downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. So humility is not a bad thing. Humility actually paves the way for God to be able to honor you. Let me ask you a question. I'll ask myself as well, all of us. Who would you prefer to honor you? You want you to honor you, or, you, or would you prefer God to honor you? Which would be the best honor that you could receive? Being honored by you, pushing yourself, making sure that you're out front, or to allow God to do that in your life? Of course, we know that God's favor is far better than us trying to favor ourselves. Here's the next one. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus said, here's the way the kingdom of God works. If you humble, if you exalt yourself, then you're going to find yourself on the, on the, in the need of being humbled. But if you will humble yourself, then I will indeed exalt you. A couple more here that we have. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God oppo opposes the proud, but shows favor. And that word also is the word grace to the humble. And then humble yourselves before the Lord, and what will he do? He will lift you up. That's from James, the apostle. And then Peter echoed the same thing. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. 
Now, I'm going to give you one other verse here, and then we're going to give you some ways to work on this in our lives. This is a, one of my favorite verses in the book of Isaiah. So many great verses in the book of Isaiah, but I want you to note this verse especially because it promises something to people who learn to walk in humility. For this is what the high and exalted one says. Who is the high and exalted one? God is, right? Okay. He who lives forever, of course, that's, that's, that's our, our God, whose name is holy. I live, he's about to tell us where he lives. God's telling, here's where I live. This is my address, okay? Anybody want to know where God's address is, right? I live in a high and holy place, but also, would you say that word with me? We don't have any problem saying, yeah, God lives in a high, holy place called heaven, right? We get that, right? But he didn't stop there. He says, I want to tell you another place I live. Also, I'm going to give you another address where I live, also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That These words that are used here for contrite and lowly are words that speak of what? Humility, okay? So isn't it great to know that if you and I can begin to drive out the tide of pride from our lives, and you and I can begin to work on the spirit of humility. God says, that's where I live. I, yeah, I live in heaven, but I also look around and I find people who are contrite and lowly in spirit, and I revive them, and I revive their heart. I live with people like that. So let me give you, finally here today, we're going to wrap up eight things that you and I can do to help us to develop humility. Number one, just always admit your need for God. There's nothing wrong with every day waking up and saying, God, I need you. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. It's an old hymn that we used to sing in the church. I need you, God. Every minute of my day, I'm admitting. This is the key word. Admit your need for God. You've got to say it. God, I need you. You find yourself in a perplexing situation before you dive in and try to fix it. God, I need you. See, those words are powerful. Saying them, praying them, it brings you to an acknowledgement of the fact that you are not sufficient, nor am I, to handle life. You were not made to be your best by yourself. You are made to work in cooperation with God. You will always do better when you admit your need for God. Make it a practice of your life. When you get up in the morning, whether you hit your knees uh, by your bedside or when you hop in the shower, sometime before you get your day started, God, I need you in my life today. I welcome you into my world. Here's the second thing. Confess the sin of pride to God and repent of it. There's not a single one of us in this room or watching online that we don't battle with this. It's a part of the human nature, okay? There are times that you and I find this to be, this issue to be present in all of our lives. And please notice the way that you, one of the simple ways to recognize its presence in your life is that there's a letter right in the middle of the word. What is the letter? I, okay, there you go. Okay, it's just right in the middle. Okay, and so when I start doing what I want, and, and I, and I, 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 me, 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 I, okay, then it's like a stop. Wait a minute, hold on. I need to take a look at what's going on with my life and confess the sin. The beautiful thing is this: First John one nine says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful 
and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you think that includes the unrighteousness of pride? Oh, absolutely. He's willing to forgive, but we need to own up to God when we see it in our lives. And don't feel like, oh, I don't ever have that in my life. Yes, you do. We all do. We all have this issue. It goes back to the very sinful nature that we all have and the I that is at the center of our lives. Hunger to what? How do you deal with pride? You've got to be a person that says, I want to grow. Now, you can't grow without being teachable. I'm going to invite you to say something with me, and it may be hard for some of you, but let's try it anyway. Would you say it together with me? I don't know everything. Go ahead and say it with me. Come on, let's try it again. I, I don't know everything. Okay. There's a lot of things I still don't know. How about you? The older I get, the more I realize there's way more that I don't know than what I do know. Okay. And sometimes what I thought I did know, I really don't know. Okay. And so this is a humbling thing to say, if I'm going to grow, I have to have this teachable spirit to say, there are things in my life that I still need to learn and areas where I still need to grow, whether it be in relationship with God, relationship with people, just any realm of life to have a growing attitude, a hunger to grow. Here's the next one. Find ways to serve others in ways no one but God sees. Find ways. This is, this, how do you humble yourself? You find ways to serve other people in ways that nobody else sees but God sees. And by the way, and then don't tell people about it, okay? You say, I'm going to find a way to serve someone. Nobody will ever know that I did this. I'm not saying that it has to be anonymous to the person, but I'm, it's not something you go around broadcasting and say, look what I did, Okay. It's because when you do this, what it's doing is striking at the very heart of wanting to, to self-promote. It strikes at the heart of you trying to make you be important. And so anytime we serve others in ways that no one else but God sees, we know we're doing it for the right reasons, correct? Okay? God, I want only you to see what I'm doing here. And then live to help others succeed. Amen. Well, there's a lot of people around us that could use a helping hand up, correct? Okay. There's a lot of people around that we can simply give a word to or do something kind for or just reach out to in some way or help them succeed. It's a valuable way to create humility in your life. Instead of help me succeed, how can I help you succeed in your life? Here's our next one. Say it with me. Come on, that is bad. I know you have masks on. I understand that. Okay. That was not mask mumbling. That was like, I don't want to read this kind of mumbling. Okay. Listen more than you talk. Why? Because arrogant people, blah, 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 blah. I mean, this is always, it's always something they got to say, right? Okay. Just remind you, you have two ears, one mouth. Okay. We have two ears, one mouth. And you never learn anything talking. You never learn anything talking. You learn listening, okay? And so listening is a spirit, it's a, hum, it's a humbling thing that you do. You put yourself in that, that mindset, okay? Next one, we've got a few more here, okay? Give praise and forget about trying to get it. Wow. You could talk about that one for a little bit, right? 
Just find ways to give other people praise and just forget. Just forget about trying to get praise from people. Just forget about trying to get people to say nice things about you, okay? Forget about trying to do it. If you can just get that out of your mind and say, hey, I'm not worried about that anymore. What I really want to do is I just want to find as many people today that I can praise, I can lift up, I can exalt, I can, I can give them something of, of a blessing from my life. I can give praise to God. I'm not going to worry about what I'm getting. I'm going to worry about what I am giving, okay? It's tremendous. That's humility in our lives. And then here's my last one. We'll conclude with this one. This helping anybody at all? A little bit? Okay. When success comes, publicly give God the glory, okay? okay? I believe, I believe God wills and wants success for the lives of his children. If you got kids, do you want your kids to succeed? Oh, of course you do. We all want our kids to succeed. We want our kids to be blessed. In the same way, God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to succeed. He, makes, he brings success to the work of your hands. But here's the point of wisdom here, and the point of wisdom and humility is that when success comes, no, you didn't do it by yourself, okay? You didn't do it in your own strength, your own power. There was an invisible hand that caused you to experience what blessing came to your life. There was favor that God gave you in a moment that you didn't realize it maybe at the time, but it was God doing something for you that you could have never done for yourself. It was God pushing you out there into that position or God giving you that opportunity for that promotion or God giving you that favor with that person that opened it. You didn't even realize. You thought it was you. No, it wasn't you. It was God working in and around you to bring blessing to your life. So when success comes, say it with me again. What's that word again? That doesn't mean that you have to be obnoxious and, 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 and hyper-spiritual about it. But just be willing to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say, I want to thank God. You know, I love it. I love it when, and, and it has to be sincere too. It needs to be sincere. But don't you love it when, uh, when someone who's like a professional athlete or they win a big victory or win a gold medal or something and they just say, you know, I just want to take a moment first and uh, give God praise. That's one of the things I love about Tony Dungy. Remember when he won all the Super Bowls and I mean, he just gave God the glory for it. That's why you love a guy like JB, you know, JB, uh, James Brown, who just gives God the glory for the doors that have opened up in, in his life. And so you, you publicly declare and acknowledge that, you know what, it's not about me but I give glory to him. Amen? So many ships have been sunk by what? By the tide of pride. How does the tide of pride come in? Hey, you don't know it. Just imperceptibly sort of rises and you didn't realize, well, the water level's here now and it used to be down here. I didn't even realize it. But there are some signs I can learn. I can start paying attention to the pilings and notice the watermarks, and I can be aware of some of the things we talked about, and then I can do something about it. I can make the decision to reverse the tide of pride. Instead of living at high tide, I want to live at low tide. Amen. I want to live in contriteness before God. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We're grateful. Lord, we come tonight and we acknowledge to you the, the many, many times that we've had pride or arrogance in our lives, Lord, so many times that maybe we just imperceptibly has been there. And we confess that to you, Lord, and ask for your forgiveness and your cleansing. 
We thank you for the promise of your word that says if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So wash out the eye from us, O oh God. Cleanse us and let us learn to walk in humility and contriteness before you each and every day of our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus. I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.